Hey, welcome to the Fusion ATL podcast. This is Pastor Vance. If you're not familiar with Fusion, we are the young adult ministry for Victory World Church in Norcross, Georgia. We meet every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Fusion ATL. I hope you enjoy this message and we look forward to seeing you soon. What's up? How you guys doing, man? Doing all right? I'm doing all right. I appreciate you asking. What y'all been up to, man? Okay. Wow, that was consensus. Everybody been working. Okay. Anybody tired from work? I feel that, man. That's what work does. You know, is anybody resting well in between work? Less of you are resting than the amount of you who are working. That's a whole other message in itself. That's something we have to find a rhythm for. Anybody working on finding a rhythm or are you just out here trying to grind? Okay, y'all know the right answer to that. Don't be out here working yourself to the bone for all these temporary treasures. You know we talk about it. God created you. Oh, I appreciate it. Can y'all give it up for Jimmy? Thank you, man. Got some great people serving, man. But, um, but yeah, man, y'all got to be taking care of yourselves. You know you're made for more than just working and accomplishing and getting stuff, right? Anybody know that? Maybe you need to be reminded of that, that life is about more than just working to get stuff and surviving until tomorrow. Anybody need to hear that? Okay, yeah, I feel like you might. Yeah, yeah, you might need that reminder, man, because if you guys, if you weren't here last week, then we, we started a series called Image. Uh, you can see the, the graphic right here. I'm just excited about what's going on right now because we just have so many great people. Uh, you guys know Riley and Evan. They were just up here worshiping. Do you guys know them? Riley, who was on staff with us before. Now she just made this graphic. Great job. She's doing our social media stuff. I just love seeing us as young adults being able to use our giftings and walking in our callings. Um, and we just have already seen a lot of that tonight. And so I'm excited about it. But we're, we started this series called Image. And last week we were talking about, you know, how a lot of life right now is about image in society. You know, we're very concerned with our image of ourselves, uh, the perceived image, how people see us. And we ended up going into what it means to be alive, like what it means to be a human, like what's the point of being here? And we see that when God started all of this for us, and I say for us because when we read Genesis and it says in the beginning, it doesn't mean like in the beginning ever, it just means in the beginning of our story because God is preexistent, he's eternal. And so who knows what he had going on before we got here, but in the beginning of our story, God creates the heavens and he creates the earth. And then it says that, you know, he has all this stuff and creates all these animals. And he says, but there's no one to manage it. So he said, because he was like, I'm not trying to do that. I created all this. I got a lot of managing. I'm not trying to manage and oversee all these animals and stuff. I need some managers to handle this. You know, like if you start a business, and has anybody ever started a business? I know that a lot of you guys are like on the way, like wanting to start some businesses. At a certain point, you can't do everything yourself, right? In the same way, God can do everything himself, but he chose to hire some people. 
And so in order to do that, he said, I'm going to create mankind in my image, in my likeness. He says, the Godhead speaks to themselves and they say, let us create mankind in our image, in our likeness and give them dominion over all this stuff. And so he created us with a job to do. And over time, uh, we've kind of messed it up. I don't know if you guys have realized, but things have not gone perfectly since God created the heavens and the earth and then put mankind in charge over it. Um, But we're focusing on the fact that there was an intent behind our creation. And though we've gotten really far from maybe what his, not maybe, we've gotten really far from what his original intent for us was, his original intent for each and every human being is rooted in the fact that God created you and I in his image and in his likeness. And we were were going down the reality that this is not just like, we're kind of like God or you know, we, we hear image and we think just picture. So we're like, what does that even mean? But the, the word used there, the Hebrew word, selim, it actually is primarily only used to refer to like statues. And so we are like living, breathing, really complex, dynamic statues of God. Like we walk around in his image, in his likeness, and we have a responsibility that comes with that. And so this is what we're talking about right now is we, we asked the question last week, you know, what does it mean to be human? Like, what is the point of being a human? Like, what is being a human about? And, it, and it's rooted in as a human being, you are made in the image of God. And so this transcends the lines of religion This isn't about just Christianity, but the Christian worldview, how we see the world that may have been categorized over time as Christianity. The reality is God doesn't see it as Christianity. God sees it as reality. God sees this as truth, that this is how things have gone. This is how how we see the world and our worldview is Christianity is more than just a moral code and some things to do and things not to do, but this is a way we see creation, a way that we come to a conclusion about our existence and how to operate in our existence. And so what does it mean to be human? It's to be made in the image of God, created by God in the image of God. And then to live a successful human life we said is to follow Jesus because Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus, the son of God, is the image of the invisible God. And so he's the visible image of the invisible God. And so the God who we were created in his image, in order to be like him, if we're called to be like him, he actually came, walked in human flesh and walked out what it looks like to live a correct, proper human life. And so that brings us to today where we're going to dive right back into kind of that question that we were asking because we said that the question of what does it mean to be human and like what is the importance behind it is actually broken down. It's reflected, one, in how we live our lives. So how you live your life is a reflection of what you believe life is about. We said that last week. How you live your life, what you do on a daily basis directly reflects what you believe life is about. And so even if I ask, man, what y'all been up to? And it's just work. Okay. 
Is life just about work? Okay, I asked you that question and you might say no, okay. But let's take account of what you're doing. Let's take account of what your day-to-day life looks like and let's measure it up against what you say you believe life is about. Because you may be saying one thing, but doing another. And what you do is the real reflection of what you believe. And the reality is all of us have kind of been thrust into this existence, walking around in these bodies, around other human beings, exchanging information and ideas and having conversations like everything is normal. But we all are at the end of the day trying to answer these questions. What do I do with my body, my mind, my desires, my individuality? And what do I do with the unseen? Most of us have a concept of all of these. These are things that we are thrust into and we're given. And then we have to find out what to do with it. And that is what the basis of a lot of conversations are about nowadays. The world is in an uproar discussing a lot of these things. What do we do with these things? Who are you to tell me? And who has the authority? Now, again, if we're talking about a worldview and a way to see life, that is what we're given through Jesus Christ. It's the revelation, it's the revealing, the unveiling, the pulling back of the curtain about what life is really about. It's the God who created us showing himself to us and saying, hey, this is what life is about. This is why I created you and this is what I've done for you and this is my expectation. And that's something that we have to be aware of because, oh, we can talk about ideas all day We could talk about suggestions all day. We could talk about different philosophies all day. But a lot of us, we don't like to deal with the reality of an expectation. In fact, we may see, you know, what God says in his word as suggestions. In fact, a lot of us are living our lives that way. Maybe not in certain areas, but maybe in others. I would encourage you to evaluate. This is something we have to do on a daily basis, myself included. What am I taking that God has said? What am I taking as a suggestion for how to live life? Because God is clear that his word that he's given is more than a suggestion, but there are expectations. Why? Because we have, been, we have been given the beautiful, powerful gift of being created in his image with the power to choose, just like God has the power to make choices and decisions and has desires and has a will. He's given that to us and we have a responsibility to steward it. And the first thing that I would say is to be created by God in his image is inextricably linked with the responsibility to honor him. Inextricably meaning you cannot separate it. Like if you are created in the image of God, if you are walking around as a reflection of who he is, everything that you have has been given to you, your body, your mind, everything that you are walking around in using to live life has been given to you. You didn't create it. You didn't even ask for it. It's been given to you. 
But with that gift comes the responsibility to honor the giver of the gift. And he's, been, he's given us all these things with an expectation that we will accurately reflect who he is. And so I want to start dismantling this idea that we get from different philosophies creeping into the church world that God has just like created us as some like experiment and he's given us these rules. And if we break these rules, he's just done with us. It's deeper than that. It's not that there's no truth to that. It's not that there are no rules. It's not that there are no boundaries, but the rules and the boundaries are based on a bigger picture. You've been given a vocation. Not just a rule, right? God didn't just like set you up and be like, okay, but I'm going to put this really difficult rule in place. And if you mess it up, I'm going to punish you. That's not God's heart. But you have been given more than most of us really understand. And a lot of us take for granted what we have, but God doesn't take it for granted. To be made in his image and in his likeness and given all this power comes with responsibility. Anybody remember Spider-Man? Where he's like, with great power comes great responsibility. And that was just like with spider strength. You've been given the image of the immortal, eternal God. There's nothing else in all of creation that bears his image. Nothing else. Think about this. You walking around, you are made in the image of God. And that comes with a responsibility to be like him. That's the expectation. But the issue is that as humanity, we haven't done super well with this historically. We've messed this up. A lot. And what we've done with this choice, we have this choice. Like, you are walking around with the choice. Okay, am I, is what I do in this moment going to honor God or is it not? And that is the choice in front of you every moment of every day. Okay, is this going to honor God or is this not? And what we do with that choice is so important. I want us to just think for a moment. All right. How have I been doing with that? Based on what I already know right now, before we even get into the scriptures we're talking about tonight, before we even get into that, okay, based on what I know right now, how am I doing with that? How am I doing with this with this constant decision that I'm making to honor God or to not, to, to, to faithfully steward what he's given me or to not. I want to tell you that on the scale of how well we could be doing, most of us are falling short. Most of us are falling short. And that's been the case for the entire time that we've been here since Adam and Eve disobeyed in the garden. That's been the case. We've been falling short. 
Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. Before I go any further, I want to pray for us. And I want us to, to really, I can't say enough like how important these moments are. This, these beautiful gifts of moments in time where we can reflect and invite God to speak to us and allow him to examine us. And we can make a decision to say, you know what? Maybe I haven't been doing super well with this. You know, maybe I have been keeping God at kind of an arm's length. I want to invite you in this moment to give God an opportunity to speak to you, to perhaps shift some things in your life. I want you to, I want to encourage you to make yourself available. It's one of the most beautiful things you can do in life. It is a gift to be able to come to God and say, you know what, God, work on me. It's a gift. If you're here, if you're breathing, you have that opportunity. And before we go any further and we're wrestling with what we're talking about tonight, I want us to just take a moment to say, you know what? Before I put my hands up, before I put my guard up, before I put my defenses up, I'm going to pray for myself to allow God to speak to me in love. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this time. God, I thank you for your eternal word. Lord, I thank you that your word is enough. God, that you've given us the light. Lord, you've given us the path. You said your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. It guides me in dark places, Lord. You are our shepherd. You lead us, Lord. You cause us to lie down. You make us to uh, walk beside still waters, Lord. You refresh our soul. God, you want to feed us, to take care of our needs. But I know that undoubtedly some of us are maybe feeling distant from you, Lord. Some of us are wrestling with different ideas, different different ideas that we don't know if if it's truth, if it's not. Lord, I just pray that by your spirit, you would reveal truth to us tonight, Lord. Because you said that you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And Lord, I pray that if nothing else is accomplished tonight, Lord, that you, by your Holy Spirit, would make that hold weight in our lives that you would illuminate our hearts to understand that, Lord, that we would see Jesus Christ as the way in a dark world, as the truth in a world full of lies and the life in a world full of death. So God, have your way in our hearts. We welcome you to speak in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so interesting story. Uh, I have some friends in the house tonight, Pastors Aaron and Krista Marshall from Free Chapel Young Adults. They run the young adult ministry over there, and I forgot they said that they were coming tonight, and it was a very pleasant surprise, and as we were in worship, I was, I was thinking about, we were hanging out with them last week, and we were actually, Gabrielle and I were actually sitting in their living room, arguing. Yes. Legitimately. Not going crazy, but having some disagreements. 
And the root of the disagreement was my beautiful wife, Gabrielle, pretty much telling me I could do better. (laughs) Pretty much. It's what it came down to. And in the moment, one, I was tired, right? And I was kind of irritable and just kind of over it. And so even though like one side of me was like, I want to hear you. The other side was like, nah, bruh. Nah, defend yourself. You actually been doing great. And that's the side that ended up winning for the most part. In reality. But end of that story was, you know, Aaron and Krista, they, were, they graciously were like, you know what, let's just pray. Because this, y'all just not agreeing. And it was great. Afterwards, we were like, oh, we feel way better. We were doing great after that. And the next day, I started seeing like, you know what? She was right. She was right. The stuff that she was saying like, you haven't been doing this, and you haven't been doing this, and you know, you haven't been doing laundry as much. You know what I mean? Like, you haven't been going out of your way to clean certain things, and I'm like, but I be doing a lot though, you know what I mean? And, but the next day, I started seeing like, you know what, she's right. And then the day after that, I was like, man, she's really right, because I had this whole day where like I could do kind of whatever I wanted because she was out working on something. And I had two options. Like I could either clean the whole house or do stuff I wanted to do. And I was like, you know what? Normally, I would go do stuff I wanted to do right now. And I would not be in the house cleaning. But you know what I did? I did a little better. I did a little better. Amen. All right, okay, all right. All right. (laughs) Appreciate y'all, man. I don't know whether to appreciate y'all standing up and clapping or be hurt. I don't know. But I did a little bit better. And it's my prayer tonight that if y'all learn something, if you know better, you'll do better. You ever heard that? If you knew better, you'd do better? Well, when she was talking about it, I just didn't see it. But it wasn't that it wasn't true. And just because I was going through life not seeing the things I was doing wrong did not mean I wasn't doing anything wrong. And this is how a lot of us are living life, is God actually has an expectation, a righteous, holy, perfect expectation. He has all authority to have an expectation over us. And a lot of us are not meeting that expectation, but we just kind of going on about life like it's no big deal. But the reality is that this issue that we have of not seeing what's wrong with us, of not properly stewarding and managing the things that God has given us, it's the reason we have the gospel. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. The gospel means good news. Somebody say good news. Good news. news. Why do we need good news? 
Think about it. Why would you possibly need good news? Could it be that there's bad news? Could it be that perhaps there's a bad situation? Good news. You know when people bring good news and it's like a blessing when you're like, man, that good news hit the spot. It's when things aren't going well. And Jesus describes his message. He tells his disciples, he says, this gospel, this good news of the kingdom, of the repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached to all nations. He didn't just say this message. Like, oh, I have a new idea for everyone. Disciples, we have a new philosophy. Go spread this philosophy to everyone as an option among many other options that holds no consequences or any results. Won't really change much. Some people can choose it. Some people cannot. If some people decide that they don't want it and they determine by themselves what truth is, that's fine. This is a truth. Did he say that? No. He said this gospel, this good news needs to be proclaimed to everyone on the planet because we all need it because apparently there's a bad situation. And in Romans 1:16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why? Well, we just read in Romans 3.23, he says, all have sinned and fall short. So there's good news for a bad situation that because everyone has messed up, but now there's good news. And that good news is the power of God to save us from our sins for everyone, say everyone, everyone who believes. And in Romans 1.17, he says, for in it, talking about the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Meaning outside of this good news, outside of this good news about what Jesus Christ has done for us, we don't even know God. We don't know what his will is. We don't know what he cares about. We don't know what he doesn't care about. We don't know if he's righteous, if he's not righteous. We don't know. Everything is just ideas exchanged from one human to another. But God is saying, no, in this news, in this message about Jesus Christ, I have pulled back the curtain from heaven and revealed to you what's actually going on. And this is good news for all of humanity. And this good news is not just information, but it's power. There's actually power that goes out when this message is shared. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So the gospel, this good news about Jesus Christ, it actually corrects our worldview. It corrects what we think about God and reveals to us his nature, his righteousness. Why? Because God cares about sin. God cares about sin. 
So we learn in the gospel, in the fact that he would send his son, that meant that there was a real serious situation going on. And outside of this message about him sending his son, outside of our knowledge of that, we wouldn't know that there was a serious situation going on that God cared about. And in the next verse, it actually says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Without the gospel, we're estranged from God, left to our own devices, the curtain is closed, we have no access to God, left to our own devices and destined for destruction. Both here, and we can see that as we look around the world that when we're left to our own devices, things don't go well. Find a utopian perfect society on the planet. Can anybody think of one? Humans doing things on our own. Has anybody seen where it works out perfect? Please share it with me. It doesn't. In fact, it gets terrible. Really, really, really bad. Now, some of us, we may live in like a really great suburb here in America. And we're like, it's not that bad. The streets are paved. We walk our dogs. We can afford to pay for animals to live in luxury. It's not that bad. What's so bad about this? But if you take a look around maybe some of the rest of the world, maybe a few miles from that suburb, and you can start seeing that things are not all that great for everybody. And even when you take that particular suburb, right, and everything is great on the outside, when you start getting inside the houses, and you start listening to the conversations, and you become familiar with some of the addictions and some of the abuses and some of the strained relationships and tensions, you start to see, oh, we don't have this figured out. In fact, there's ungodliness and there's unrighteousness everywhere. And I think it's interesting that the scripture says that the wrath of God is being revealed against first all ungodliness. Further evidence that the expectation is for us to be like God. For ungodliness, not being like God, to stir God's wrath means that the responsibility that we have to be like God matters greatly to him. And that's my first point of the night. What you do matters greatly to God. What you do matters greatly to God. He says ungodliness and he says unrighteousness. Ungodliness, meaning I'm not like God. Lack of reverence, lack of relationship, separation from God, unrighteousness. Other translations say wickedness. And it talks about our interactions with each other. meaning I'm ungodly 
and I, I don't act in uprightness toward the people around me. And that stirs the wrath of God. And it says that that wrath is being revealed. And we see that in our present, current situation, that some of it is just God allowing us to experience the consequences of our actions. Now, mind you, I do want to touch on the point that when we talk about the wrath of God, we have to understand that the wrath, God is not like you and me. And so when you hear wrath, you might think about yourself if you have an anger problem, or you might think about like the person that you know that has an anger problem. God doesn't have an anger problem. God doesn't get all out of control when he gets upset. And it's not like an out of control rage that God gets into when there's ungodliness. There is a burning, holy, righteous wrath from God against the lack of respect, reverence, and management of what he's given us and against when we treat each other in an evil way and when we interact with each other in a way that has no regard for him. He cares about that. And some of it is already being revealed in just letting us experience some of the consequences of our actions. So sometimes we hear the question, if God is good, why is there evil in the world? Well, when you give humankind the image of God, including the power to choose, and then they choose to not be like God, that is evil. And so humankind has the opportunity to choose either way. Has anybody found that a lot of us just don't always choose to honor God. That in itself is the root, the root of where evil comes from. It's a lack of proper stewardship of the image of God. God expects us to be like him. What you do matters greatly to God. And we are not expected to just like God, but to be like God. And some of us, we're kind of content with just liking God. Like, I like God. I put him in the bio, wear him on the t-shirt. I'll go to a concert and lift my hands. I'll come to church. I'll bring somebody to church. What's up? Evangelism. Like, we're like, no, I like God. But there's an expectation on your life to be like God. And that is the problem for most of us. It is why we need the good news about Jesus. This is the problem he's coming to fix. This is the issue he's coming to resolve, is most of us are not being like God. And so if I, even when I asked earlier, like, if you look at what you've been doing, what does that really reflect? Like, okay, 
What do I believe life is about? What have I been doing? Where's the connection? God is looking at those things. Even the things that we're not paying attention to, it doesn't change God's expectation over our lives. He has an expectation for each and every one of us. And when what you do, not what you want to do, not what you intend to do, when what you do does not meet God's expectation, it is called sin. When what you do does not meet God's expectation, it is called sin. Now, some of you are like, so we given the definition of sin? I would think that was fairly elementary. One, the heart behind what we're doing here is filling in some of the gaps in the way that we see things. Because some of us have like, gotten these bits and pieces and like our understanding of who God is and how the world works is a combination of like what I think this preacher said when I was seven, what this dude said on Instagram yesterday and like the three scriptures I read. And we will walk confidently in that. Confidently. And I think it's important that we revisit some of the basics to have a solid foundation because I really think that's what's causing a lot of the shakiness, especially in turbulent times like what we're going through right now uh, in society, which I don't think is, is gonna get better. I think it's just gonna keep getting worse and like less cool to be a Christian. And I think our ideas are gonna continually be challenged more and more and more and become the unpopular side um, of how to view life. And I think it's important for us to understand from a very basic place, like the foundation that our views are built upon. Because if you don't, then that's when somebody comes in challenges and you're like, oh, okay, I guess that's all wrong. Because you had no foundation. It was just something somebody said from a stage that you kind of took in and logged. And you're like, yes, this is our perspective. Our perspective is that this is sin. So I'm gonna put this on my Facebook and I'm gonna put this on TikTok and I'm gonna make a video and be like, God said, God said, and we see that everywhere. And it's not based on anything solid. It's based on tidbits. But it's really, 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 really important that you build your life on something solid. Jesus talks about obeying his teachings, being like building your house on a rock. And that's what we're trying to do here. And so you understanding what humanity was intended to do will help you when you're navigating a lot of these hot take issues, because the hot take issues are taking out a lot of Christians right now, where it's like, yes, I'm a Christian, but I also fully agree with the world on everything. It's real though. And, and a lot of us are doing that and don't see anything wrong with it, but because there was no foundation over, under what we believed in the first place. So now there's, there's this, popular, this popular movement of deconstructing Christianity and like undoing what the church taught us. And I think some of that is important. 
Because if everything you believe can be deconstructed with a YouTube video, then there wasn't a solid foundation. And if everything that you believe can be deconstructed because of one hot take issue that you want to side with the rest of the world on, then that means that there was not, this wasn't a worldview. This wasn't a way that I see creation and reality. This wasn't a way that I see truth. This was an idea that worked for me for a while. And I think some of us, because a lot of people are saying this all over the place, but some of us need to examine not just the hot take issues, but we need to have our lives built on a rock. And we need to start from the beginning, what humanity is about, what it's not about. Because if we don't, then we won't understand why God says all the rest of the stuff he says. We won't understand why he would talk about unrighteousness and ungodliness. And we definitely won't understand where humanity has gotten to now. But I wanna read this passage in Romans 1, 19 through 32. And I want us to read this because some of us haven't read it, a lot of us have. But I think it's important for us to see what scripture said 2,000 years ago to a society that was very, very similar to what we're dealing with. A lot of the things that we're talking about in terms of what is sin, what's not sin, what's godly, what's ungodly, people are beginning to consider archaic and old fashioned when popular thought and society viewing us being able to do what, like society thinking we should be able to do whatever we want is not new. It's not new. It's not like in the old days, everybody thought that we should just live this way and marriage is just between a man and a woman and everybody should just get married and have three kids and have a white picket fence and, and now everything's changing. No, society has not been that way for the history of humanity. Maybe the American dream and culture in America had that mindset for a certain period of time really recently but overall, in the scope of all of society, the ideas that God has about how we steward our humanity, what we do with our bodies, what we feed our minds, what we do with our desires, what we do with our individuality, how we, how we conceive the, and conceptualize the unseen realm, it's, it's always been countercultural. And so this idea that this was the way to think about things and is no longer the way to think about things is just ignorant because this has never been the popular way to think about things. It's just the way that God revealed from heaven. That's why he says he revealed it because we didn't know it. We didn't think this way. We don't think like God. And he describes what has happened to humanity in Romans 1, 19 through 32, he says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. He's saying creation alone speaks of who God is. It shows us that there is a God. We can't look around and think this came from nowhere. We can't walk around in these bodies and think we just got here. 
but that creation itself, the fact that you and I are talking to each other and having thought and we dream and we eat fruit (laughs) that grows out of nowhere and tastes delicious. The fact that that is happening is evidence that God exists. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile or useless in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Do we see that happening anywhere? And exchanged, they made a transaction, gave up one for the other, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, the fact that they didn't honor God, but chose to, chose to base their lives and devote themselves to things that have been created rather than the one who created them. It says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, which just means a lowly, useless mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all, because some of y'all are like, yeah, that's, that's them. Don't get on your high horse hearing this. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. That means wanting what other people have. Anybody experienced that? Malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife. Anybody had any intense arguments lately? God's including all this. Deceit, lack of truthfulness, lying, deceiving, and maliciousness, ill intent toward each other. They are gossips. Oh, he's talking about gossiping too? Yeah. Slanderers. How have you been talking about people lately? Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I think it's really, really, really important that we read passages of scripture like that because we'll have all these conversations about, well, where does the Bible say this? And where does the Bible say that? And you know, what's our perspective? What's the Christian perspective? God's perspective on what humanity does when we follow our own desires, when we devote ourselves to this creation that we've been given, these bodies that we've been given, 
all these things that we've been given, when we devote ourselves to these things over him, this is what ends up happening. And it includes all these things. Improper sexual activity, as well as jealousy, as well as slander. You know that because you bear the image of God, God takes it seriously how you talk about other people who bear his image. He takes it seriously. In fact, the Bible says that we're going to give an account for every idle word spoken. How many of us think about that? I think all of us have work to do in that area. Sometimes I'm in the middle of a conversation like, I forgot God said that. Mm. (laughs) All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. And God plans to examine what we've done and for us to give an account for it. Point two is that God will judge us all with righteousness and justice. Romans 14, 10 through 12, same letter that Paul is writing. We just read the beginning of the letter. This is toward the end. He's saying, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And this this imagery that he's using, he says the judgment seat of God. And that was actually a really popular common thing in, in that era. Just like we have courthouses, they had judgment seats. And it was like this elevated seat with these stone steps that you walk up and go around. There's still the remains of one in the city of Corinth. And it's this ornate structure where a human sits up there and casts judgments about something. In fact, Paul had been brought before them several times. Jesus was before the judgment seat of Pilate when he was sentenced to be crucified. It was after he had been in front of the judgment seat of Pilate. Imagine Jesus Christ and a man sitting in the judgment seat pronouncing a judgment on Jesus, the son of God, whether he should live or whether he should die, what he's gonna do with Jesus. Well, you and I do the same thing all the time. We give our ideas about what Jesus should think, what he shouldn't, what he should be for, what he should be against, whether he should agree with me or whether he shouldn't. Either I'm gonna follow him because of this or because of that, and I'm standing in the judgment seat of what Jesus should do and whether I will follow him according to my standard. But the reality is, even though Pilate temporarily pronounced a judgment on Jesus, you better believe that Pilate is gonna have to stand before the judgment seat of the risen Jesus Christ and there will be an eternal judgment pronounced for the things that he chose to do and the option that he was given. Do I honor God or do I not? What do I do with the power that I have? 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, again, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And this is the part we don't talk about a lot. 
that you and I are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And yes, Jesus is our savior for those of us who receive him. And Jesus is everlasting father, mighty God, wonderful counselor. But he's also the one who has been given authority to judge each and every human being according to what we do in these bodies that we're given, what we speak, what we say, what we do, how we engage with people, the relationships that we engage in and, and we carry, whether we choose to honor God in our decisions or whether we don't, walking around in these bodies that are reflections of his image, whether we're going to reflect him in our integrity and in our heart and in our actions in love, we're gonna give an account of it. You and I. And uh, William Barclay, I found this quote, he said, we, we will stand before God in the awful loneliness of our own souls. To him, we can take nothing but the character which in life we had been building up. The fact that when you stand before Jesus Christ, there won't be any friends around, all those people who've agreed with you or disagreed with you won't be there. What's been popular will not be able to support you. There will be nothing. There will be no evidence you can bring to the trial except for what you've chosen, what you've done, and you'll give an account for it and there will be a judgment pronounced. But thank God, in John 5, 24, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. <laughs> to receive Jesus, to believe the gospel, the good news given to all of humanity, to believe it, to receive it, to walk in it, to live your life according to it, means to already possess eternal life, to pass from death to life, to not have to stand in judgment for your sins. There will be judgment. In fact, the Bible talks about several judgments. One, that sinners undergo, anyone who has not received Jesus will have to stand before him and give an account for their sins. But the purpose of Jesus Christ coming to earth was to wipe away and give us evidence to bring that our sins have been paid for and that there's no punishment due us because Jesus was already punished. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The wrath of God is revealed when we see the bloody, brutal punishment of Jesus Christ, beaten to a pulp, hung on a Roman cross, excruciating pain, six hours suffocating to death, on the side of a road, naked, bloody, bruised, abandoned. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, is what Isaiah 53 says. And that's the evidence. My sin's already been paid for. Romans 3.23. We read it earlier. 
It says, for all sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He's redeemed us, saved us. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. That means paying for our sins in a way that satisfies the debt. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance or patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just, meaning to be just and to give justice and to deal with evil because a God who does not deal with evil is not a righteous God. And many of us want a righteous God who will deal with evil. We just don't want him to deal with our evil. And so we'll find a way to believe he won't deal with ours and the evil that I have. Oh, that doesn't bother him. No. But Jesus Christ paid the price for each and every one of our sins and our deviations from his will. said so that he could be just, so that he could satisfy this issue, so that he could still enact justice and be the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I want to close here. This is the good news. This is why we're here. It's not just to sing songs. It's not to be inspired or motivated. I hear a lot of people say, man, I just, man, I like coming to church because I I just feel better. And I love that you feel better. But the reality is you need more than a pick me up. You need more than just a word of encouragement. You need salvation for your soul. You need your sins to be paid for because all have sinned all fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and be judged in perfect righteousness. No one of us will be able to excuse our sins. We will not be able to say, you know what? I did this because. God, I know I did this, but the church had hurt me. God, I did this, but I was, I was offended and I was angry and this happened to me. There won't be any of that. God is righteous and he's just. Evil has to be dealt with. Sin has to be dealt with. There's no one of us that is going to be able to get around the fact that we've sinned on our own. There is a price that has to be paid and there is a price that has been paid and it's the only price that can be paid. In John 3.16, Jesus says this, for God so loved the world this world that had been ungodly and unrighteousness and had fallen into every sin in the book, every deviation from his will, had forgotten him, turned against him, hated him. God so loved the world. God so loved you and me, the ones who have turned our back on him before, the ones who have thought that we could stand in judgment against him and call him good or evil and say something like, if God is good, then. Like we hold the definition of goodness. God so loved you and me. God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, won't have to die, won't have to pay the price, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And the judgment is this, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And what Jesus is saying here is that in the beginning, God created mankind in his own image, in his own likeness, to be like him, to walk around like him, to speak like him, to think like him, to desire like him, to rule over this earth, just like God rules. We've been given dominion because God has all dominion and we're made in his image. But God is righteous. God is set apart and holy. He acts with perfection and love toward everyone. And because we have the power to choose, inevitably, we would choose to do our own thing sometimes. Some of us longer than others, but all of us have sinned and all of us fall short of the glory of God. And here's what I know. I know that without Jesus, my life would mean nothing. If I'm made in the image of God, if I'm supposed to be like him and I didn't have Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the one who wants a relationship with me, the one who will speak to me, the one who will lead me and guide me. If I didn't have him, I would just end up doing my own thing. And I did that for a long time. And you know what it gets you? Some things that feel good, temporary pleasures, fun. But in the long run, it gets you wrath stored up and justly. I look back all the time. At like, and I, I said this last week, I look back at like, yo, if I, if I never came to Jesus and we talk about the fact that life is not promised, tomorrow's not promised to you and I, and things ended before I made this decision, before I received, because he said, it's this atonement that's received by faith. Before I received this, I would have to stand before God and give an account of everything that I had done with my life that was completely self-centered, self-glorifying and didn't honor him. But I've been given the gift to have another chance, to have another opportunity. And I don't know where you are with this, but like I said in the beginning, I, I want to invite you to really examine things in this moment and to not just rush past this moment but to really think like, how am I doing with this? Do I believe that I'll have to give an account to God? Do I believe that anybody will have to give an account to God? If we do, what's he gonna base it on? 
Is God really going to judge? Does he really care? I've come to the conclusion that I fully believe that the most famous man to ever live on the planet, Jesus Christ, the most famous name, the one who worked miracles, raised people from the dead, healed the sick, healed diseases, the one who died and rose up out the grave and appeared to hundreds of people. I believe that he is who he says he is. I believe that this is reality, that God really did create us in his image and in his likeness. And there's an expectation for us to be like him that can only be satisfied through Jesus Christ. I really do believe that forgiveness for our sins is really only found in Jesus Christ. I really do believe that after we are forgiven, there's now an expectation for us to act and to live as if we've been forgiven and to live to the best of our ability according to his righteous standard through the power of his Holy Spirit that will lead us and guide us and give us the power to actually be like him. I believe that. And so I don't know where you're at with this tonight, but I want us to examine how am I doing with this? What do I believe about this? Because what you do with your life is a reflection of what you believe. And all we have to bring to him is what we've done. Not the ideas that we've had, not the things that we've thought about, not the things that we were, intent, that we were eventually going to get to. I was eventually going to clean my life up, God. I was eventually going to follow you. I was eventually going to actually take this seriously, but I still felt like I had some sinning to do and I still wanted to kind of do my own thing. What you do is a reflection of what you really believe. And you have the opportunity to submit and surrender to Jesus today, right now, this moment. You have the opportunity to say, you know what? Maybe I have been thinking about things wrong and I feel this tug in my heart right now. I feel this weight because that's the spirit of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation for everyone who would believe. What you feel, when you feel that drawing, when you feel those chills, whatever it is for you, when you feel that drawing toward God, it is because that is the power of God. It's not just an idea. It's not just a good presentation. But when the gospel, when the good news, when the reality of who God is, is shared with us, it's the power of God. And so I want us all to stand to our feet. And I want us to take a moment, each and every one of us, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, to ask yourself this question. What do I believe about Jesus? And if you've been on the fence and maybe you haven't made a decision to follow him, I want to give you an opportunity in this moment, whether you're watching online, whether you're here in the building, I want to give you an opportunity and for you to understand that this is not just a decision to make in a moment and then not to live it out, but this is for real. So you have an opportunity right now to turn things around, to follow Jesus. And so if that's you, if you're saying, I want that, I take this seriously. I want to follow Jesus. I want to lead you in this prayer. And I want each and every one of us to, to pray this. 
But first, sometimes I do this, sometimes I don't, but I, I feel like there's something special about us taking action. And so if that's you and you're saying, I want to make a decision, I want you to lift your hand high and I want you to hold it up. And this is a personal decision, nobody looking around. I want you to hold it up because this is a moment. This is a real decision. This isn't something we wanna rush through. This isn't something that we're gonna be ashamed of. This is a personal moment between you and God. It's only you who's gonna stand before Jesus Christ. And it's, it's him who you are standing before right now, lifting your hand and saying, I'm going to follow you. I believe in who you are. I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that you can save my soul. And I believe that I should live for you. Still hands going up. If you're online, I want you to do the same thing if you're making this decision, because I want you to feel your hand lifted up. I want this to be a moment marked in your memory, burned in your memory, when the enemy comes and tries to say, man, that wasn't real. Man, oh, you just prayed that prayer, but it wasn't anything. Man, you're not serious about it. When that comes, no, I want you to remember this moment, and I want you to lift your hand in that moment and say, no, I still choose. Choosing Jesus. Some of you just need to feel this hand lifted in the air because you've been wavering, you've been doubting, you've been trying to figure it out, you've been feeling condemned. Sometimes it's just about sticking with the decision. Sometimes it's just about standing firm on what you're deciding. So proud of you guys. And I know heaven is rejoicing for every genuine decision that's being made in this moment. Jesus is rejoicing. Jesus is smiling over you. Jesus is delighting over you. Jesus loves you. He didn't come to condemn you, but he came to save you. You can put your hand down and I want you to pray this prayer with me and everyone around the building. I want you to pray this prayer in faith. Say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that you came to earth, that you lived a perfect human life. I believe that you died on a cross to pay the price for my sins. And I believe that you resurrected and showed your power over sin, your power over death, I believe that you hold the keys to life and to death in your hands. And I receive your forgiveness for my sins. I receive you as the savior of my soul. I commit my life to you. I turn from my old way. I am not my God. You are my God. 
you are my Lord. You are my leader. I give you full control. And I will follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we take a moment to celebrate? And these claps are just a small picture of the rejoicing that's taking place in heaven over you. The the rejoicing that's taking place in the presence of God in this moment. But there's also another prayer that I want to pray over each and every one of us before we take a moment to worship. I want to pray for everyone who maybe you had already prayed that prayer. Maybe you had already followed, you had made this decision to follow Jesus, but maybe you've been wavering. Maybe this this message has brought some conviction to say, you know what? I haven't been taking it as seriously. I haven't been living like this is like for real, for real. I haven't been living like I'm actually going to stand before Jesus and give an account for everything that I'm doing. And if I'm going to give an account for what I did on Tuesday night, At this time, in this moment, in the choice that I made, I want it to be an account I'm proud of. And so I want to pray for us just in this moment that we will actually invite Jesus to transform the way that we think, to transform the way that we do life, that we will actually seek after him, that we'll be actually like reading our Bibles and praying and taking him seriously and seeing him respond and treating him like he really is the living God. So let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person in this room, Lord. And I I wanted to pray this prayer because I know that these are important moments, Lord. And if we don't step into these moments, if we get distracted at the time or what's been going on or, you know, whatever it is, if we get distracted, we can miss a moment with you, Lord. We can miss something that you're maybe wanting to say, something you're wanting to do in this moment, Lord. So we just take this moment to commit our hearts to you. To say, Jesus, I'm living for you. And maybe I haven't been doing a great job at this lately but I believe that your mercies are new every morning, like your word says, and your grace for me is sufficient for me, and your power is actually made perfect in my weakness. So even when I'm weak, it shows how strong you are. And so God, I'm coming to you in my weakness, in my frailty, with my failures, and I'm casting everything at your feet. You said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I don't want you dragging through life in slavery to your sin. So God, we believe that who the sun sets free is free indeed. And there's freedom available to us in your presence where the spirit of the Lord is. There is liberty. There is freedom. And so God, we don't take this moment for granted as we're in your presence. And we want to take this moment to honor who you are. I pray for each and every person in here, God for us to fully commit our hearts to you, Lord, and for us to be a city on a hill like you described, God, for us to be the light of the world, God, that there would be a flame burning inside us, Lord, for you, and we would be accurate reflections of your image. You have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name. Hey, thank you for listening. We're so glad to have you as a part of our community. If you want to get connected any further, please visit fusionatl.org. You can get plugged into a small group there, and you can also send in a prayer request so that we can pray for you. 
Once again, thanks for listening and thanks for being a part of Fusion ATL.